Honestly, the way you describe that and the way that we're talking about it makes it sound so much like joining a cult. But if you are having a crisis, <laughs> definitely go on The Bachelor instead. I'm just, you know, <laughs> don't join Nixium. I've been watching The Vow on HBO. Not sure if anyone else has, but it's like really in my head. <laughs> don't join a cult in upstate New York. Join The Bachelor. Join The Bachelor. Instead. <laughs> Welcome to Here to Make Friends, a HuffPost podcast about The Bachelor franchise, where we lovingly snark on The Bachelor and Bachelor-adjacent shows. Whether you love The Bachelor or love to hate it, we're here to break down every single delicious moment with you. I'm Emma Gray. And I'm Claire Fallon. So... We've come to the end of this pandemic summer and this seat of the pants pandemic bachelor show. I can't believe it's already September. I can't believe we're saying so long, The Bachelor, the greatest seasons ever. I can't believe it's September, but I am grateful we're saying goodbye to The Bachelor, (laughs) the greatest seasons, M dash ever exclamation point. Uh, But for once the show has really made a decision that we can get behind ending with the best worst season in recent memory, Juan Pablo Galavés, the Bachelor, even many of the Bachelorettes, ended up not liking all that much. And it was refreshing. Yeah, it was a real change of pace uh, from Brad Walmack and all of our many <laughs> Bachelor villains of history. And Here to Make Friends did not exist back then, but it is a personal favorite season of both of us. Uh, Thanks to the women who stole the show and in many cases walked away from The Bachelor or at least had some memorable confrontations with him. Uh, Charlene, Andy, Claire, we can't wait to talk about so many of these women. And we will also be talking to Charlene on the show, a beloved friend of the pod and generally incredible lady about her time on the show, dating the first Latinx Bachelor um, and how she feels like her experience as a biracial person um, impacted her time on the show. And before we get started, we have a couple calls to action, uh, things that Emma and I are thinking about uh, in terms of getting involved in what's going on right now. as the election's coming up, there are a lot of concerns about how the pandemic's going to affect it, how what's going on with the post office is going to affect it, voter suppression. So that's what we're thinking about this week. That's what our calls to action are about. So first, volunteer to work at the polls. Uh, the majority of poll workers are over 60 um, who you know are at risk, at special risk um, with COVID. So the pandemic has left the country with a nationwide shortage of poll workers. If you are young, healthy, and able, fill out an application to be a poll worker in your area. Save our democracy, or do your part at least. Um, You can sign up at www.powerthepolls.org, and the link will be in our show notes. And I also just want to say that, like, from um, I have a couple good friends, uh, Aaron Dark, who has been on this podcast before, who have been working the polls before COVID. And even then, um, you know, I have just heard a lot of stories about what happens when people just don't show up, how, how much really is riding on these poll workers. And these are all volunteer positions. And yet, like, if a poll worker screws up, that can be the difference between your vote being counted or not. 
So, um, you know, we really should be treating these positions with the importance that they actually hold and, um, yeah, volunteer if you can. The other thing we want to highlight is, you know, as Claire said, voter suppression specifically on the basis of race is something that is a really, really big concern to, to a, lot of, um, a lot of people, especially this fall. And we wanna encourage you to look up opportunities in your state to be a voter protection volunteer. That can mean being a poll observer, that can mean be volunteering your legal services in case you know, there is any issue that comes up. And you can find those opportunities, obviously they change on a state to state basis at votesaveamerica.com slash every last vote slash hashtag be a voter teaser. <laughs> and again, that's a complicated URL, but it will be in our show notes. Yeah, and that's especially if you have a legal background, that's a great thing to look into. Um, and I think that brings us to recap time. Let's let's dive in. JP. Yes, it is Juan Pablo. It is also the end of the season. Let's just briefly talk about this this greatest seasons ever season a show that has more punctuation marks in its name than the the original <laughs> show has words i mean three punctuation marks it's maximalist lot. it's it's making a statement <laughs> it's like enough minimalism um overall takeaways i mean i was excited that they did it um and yet I didn't agree really with a lot of the choices that were made. I think a lot of it was uh, out of necessity that they didn't have that much time. These poor editors were were working on very limited um, timeframes and uh, short, short schedules, didn't have many resources. Um, but, you know, not a lot of new footage, not a lot of uh, new information even coming out in the check-ins. Um, Charlene mentions in our interview that she expected to be able to give some sort of new insight into a scene on the series and then wasn't even asked about it as planned. You know, these are the sort of things that I wish they had focused more on and said it was kind of boring. It was boring. It was boring. Again, I give them all the props, like the people who must have put in a lot of hours of work on this. Like, I don't think this is, you know, it's not really a reflection of them, but I do think the show has a tendency to sort of skim over um, many of the more controversial moments or many of the situations that caused perhaps a split audience and caused conversation. And like, I would have loved to see a an honest reckoning and, and revisiting of those things. And I think it would have just made for a much more interesting show. Instead, we got a lot of like, here are the people that made it the furthest on the season. And here are their matching white Nancy Myers kitchens and their toddlers. And that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of the choices that I think were made seemed to be the wrong ones that, that not enough emphasis was placed on, on freshness and, uh, and, behind the scenes and and instead it was a lot of um well we have to just have a former bachelorette on because it's better to do that than to ask a more obscure contestant about 
um, something Anything. that the viewers won't already know about. Yeah, like it, it, I don't agree. I don't agree with those choices. And uh, honestly, probably would have preferred to just watch a whole original season. I don't know if that could ever happen that they would just re-air a whole season. But um, anyway, si- uh, saying goodbye to greatest seasons. Farewell, ever. sweet prince. The door on that. Yeah. Yes. Time to move on. But first, let's By talk talking about-, about the last. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the last episode and then say farewell, I guess. We we flash back to 2014. I was like, what happened in 2014? What did happen in 2014? I don't know. I don't know. I think I've just, I was just like, wow, what a, a placid year, I guess. I'm like the, you know, 2016 election hadn't kicked off yet. Uh, what else is there? <laughs> like, yeah, nothing, oh, we, nothing. We weren't in a pandemic. So it must've just been a great year with zero conflict um i'm kidding but you know i was like yeah that year and Juan i think Pablo. i think i moved in with greg in 2014 oh wow that is notable yeah. so wow. milestone milestone yeah. for everyone um so i do think it's funny how basically almost every bachelor that we've had featured during this uh, this flashback series has been framed as, and who would have thought that this sexy, cool guy would become dun, 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 the most hated man in America? And it's like, it's almost like being the bachelor just results in you becoming the most hated man in America, Chris. Like, I don't know, seems like a bad gig. <laughs> so true. And also, like, incredible that this show has a monopoly on the most hated men in America. Yeah, no one's ever hated a man for anything other no, than, you than know, being dumping bachelor. two women. Um, <laughs> and Chris gives us a little sign-off uh, farewell to the whole crew that put this show together, including his son, Joshua, who we see behind the camera for the last you know, time. We would like to point out that obviously this entire thing is quite dated. Uh, Claire is still in quarantine. They haven't started filming. Chris's son is not at college yet and i know for a fact that he has been down in you know at his university yeah yeah for those of us who follow bachelor nation outside of the bachelor (laughs) the greatest seasons ever we know it's like watching keeping up with the kardashians and you're like i know i know how long ago this happened um so let's let's talk about this episode i mean a lot of the women I had kind of forgotten about. So it was refreshing to, I mean, Claire obviously remains prominent because of um, her time on Paradise. Uh, Andy becomes Bachelorette, Charlene, we know. Um, But there's also Lucy, um, who I'd forgotten about, the free spirit. Um, There's Renee, uh, who went pretty far on Juan Pablo season and then ends up being married by the time the season uh, ends uh, or finishes airing uh, to her childhood sweetheart. Um, there's Lacey who got married on Paradise, but then it turned out not, not legally to be a real marriage, and then they split up. Um, yeah, so the, it was fun to revisit all these ladies, albeit very briefly. <laughs> Most of them we don't hear from at all. A little tiny spotlight on on Cassandra, who we also then then did see on VIP, um, and she dated Jonathan Holloway, who who we interviewed back at the beginning of of our season. Um, 
but yeah, she was a, a character that I had sort of forgotten about. Like he had a great, a, a great group of women. Yeah, Cassandra is the only one who isn't one of the top handful of women who gets any time at all, really, aside from a couple, uh, uh, an shots appearance of clip here and there. Yeah, we, we sort of see shots of Renee, but Renee isn't given any sort of packaged storyline, even though, right, she makes it very far. Um, but also, the both only... she and Cassandra bond with Juan Pablo over being single parents. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting that like Cassandra was the one that they decided that is to given that package. Yeah. yeah. So Cassandra is presented as um, the person that he shares that bond with and they show how they talk about their kids. And eventually she starts having a really hard time with missing her son. Who's a toddler at that time. Um, Juan Pablo gets that. Um, and she ends up going home reasonably early you know not at the end of the season um but but after her we only hear really about Charlene Andy Nikki and Claire um and I know that you noticed this Emma Juan Pablo had a very athletic season I mean he was a former pro soccer player it did make sense um I also think because of the the language barrier there was a lot of emphasis put on on dates that would sort of like intensify uh, people's states of mind and feelings and also give the audience a lot of things to look at so they could kind of like distract from the fact that they weren't investing it at all in um, actually allowing Juan Pablo to communicate properly with with the women on the show. I also just like was picturing them, um, I mean, was watching them all like play a very aggressive soccer game and like bungee jump off of bridges. And I was like, wow, I would really not have thrived on this season <laughs> that would have been as opposed to me. the other seasons where you well yeah the other seasons the i would time. definitely thrive <laughs> but like the athletic dates always just yeah. make me very anxious so we'll talk about this more later but uh the way they end up packaging this episode is a little different from some of the previous ones because they're clearly trying to set up claire um for her bachelorette stint and so she is kind of the central figure almost more than juan pablo her storyline is broken up throughout the episode, so we see um, pieces of her throughout instead of it all being clustered. Um, there's a lot of focus on her sort of storied confrontation with Juan Pablo after he um, does not give her the final rose. Um, and and so and then there's you know they bring people on to talk about what kind of bachelorette she's going to be. Um, a lot of focus on that, which almost I think in the way that the intro set up to a season often isn't that interesting. I felt like it was maybe a misuse of the time. Um, like we don't need the three former bachelors to come to the house and give the new bachelor advice. That's not really interesting, nor does it tell us more about the new bachelor. And that's kind of what this felt like to me. Like Absolutely. they didn't really do much with Claire that, that, that helped us get to know her, but they did fill time by being like, Claire's going to be the bachelorette. Let's talk to Diana about what kind of bachelorette This show be. just has so little um, faith in, in its audience. They're just like, we just need to yell at them that this person is great. And that's the only <laughs> way to convince anyone that they're great is if we just bring lots of pretty people on to say this person's great. Like I was like, okay, and we you know, know what? we get it. It works, it works. <laughs> because then everyone is like, I feel like Claire's great. i I couldn't tell you why, but I do know. I do that know that she's. It's a thought that's in my head. 
Sort of how like we know that Juan Pablo is the worst. Exactly. Just absolutely the worst. I mean, I do want to talk about, you know, your overall thoughts on Juan Pablo on, you know, watch back. It was interesting. In some ways I liked him much more on, on rewatch. In some ways I was definitely reminded of the fact that he like would make kind of dickish comments. Um, It was very, I felt like it was very back and forth for me. Also, it feels really important to mention that a lot of the reason um, that I think I had and probably you had such a bad taste in your mouth about him so early on is that really early, like about two weeks into his season airing, he gave some like pretty homophobic uh, quotes to, to, I think it was like us week or people in an interview you know he was asked do you think that there should be a um a a gay bachelor and he was like no it would be a bad example for kids and they're quote more pervert yeah he said uh i think the quote is there's this thing about gay people it seems to me and i don't know if i'm mistaken or not but they're more quote pervert in a sense And to me, the show would be too strong, too hard to watch. He later Um, walked this back and tried to say, like, I just meant gay people were, like, more racy and sexual, which, like, again, is still stereotyping and homophobic. (laughs) And, like, people of all different sexual identities express their sexuality in, like, a very large range of ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He clearly was not trying to – he's saying, you know, I respect – them but I don't think that it would be a good example for kids so he's not trying to come in hard with like I hate you know hellfire but the substance is still very homophobic and that that cast a huge I think fairly a huge show on his season I think correctly that troubled a lot of viewers and other viewers probably were not troubled um so that's some context um that feels very far away now it was a long time ago um, also, I just remember that he was chosen despite very having very little screen time on Desiree's season. He made it far-ish, like top eight top or six. six. He was top six, and he was very handsome. But like very again, handsome. there was a language barrier. They didn't have him speak all that much. Um, right, we didn't as see far as a lot of. See. Yeah, she kept picking him, but we didn't see a lot of their relationship unfolding. And so what he turned into was this sort of like lust object, like this really hot guy with an accent, you know, who was a former athlete. And and like a single father. Single father who seemed to love his daughter a lot. And so he was sort of put on a pedestal um, without people knowing too much about what he would be like on screen. Um, And then things did not go well um but i think it's fair to say he he wows the women you know he they're all very excited to meet him he has a lot lot of goodwill um they all want to like hug him they're like every woman wants to hug juan pablo and i actually get to do it um and he does have a lot of likable moments like it's there are a lot of times when i would watch him and and say oh i forgot how how charming he could be how nice he could be um how sweet it was of course when he talked about his daughter you know there are a lot of there was a lot of good stuff there that that was overshadowed 
um, for, I think, some fair and some unfair reasons. Absolutely. Um, so let's move on to some of the women that they did highlight. Um, first, Charlene, who we're not going to spend too much time on now because we do get really in-depth with her later on um, about all of this stuff. But, you know, it did remind me, watching this back reminded me why I was so obsessed with Charlene even before I met her. I mean, she just really immediately presents as the type of person that like doesn't fit into one of those neat tropes that they often try to shove uh, the women on this show into. And she's just like very honest about her physical attraction to Juan Pablo and doesn't hide that. And also like doesn't seem to take on any of the shame that the show often likes to put onto women who like have physical attraction and want to be sexual beings. Um, I love that. And I loved that she spoke really clearly about needing an intellectual and cerebral connection with a partner and was clearly being very thoughtful about whether this person that she had affection for could be that person. Yeah, I think Charlene is, and this is something that is really difficult. And even as a professional writer, I struggle against it all the time. There's always a, a tendency to fall into the accepted way of thinking, to go along with the narrative that's being formed, to be like, yeah, when someone says something to you, instead of being like, let me not take your words, but sit back and think about what I actually think about this. She was very careful um, to try to be precise about what's actually going on with her and Juan Pablo instead of saying, well, I guess I'm falling in love with him. Like, I'm going to fit my experience into the Bachelor narrative. She's instead fitting what's happening to her on The Bachelor into her own way of looking at relationships. And that's why it's so appealing to see someone saying, instead of those, those cliches, to be saying, we have great chemistry. There are so many things I like about him, but there's something missing. And I think it actually lies in this language barrier and certain incompatibility also in how we think that is important to me in a relationship. That is, that's just something you never see um, on the show. And it's just like, I think everyone just loves Charlene. Like I've never heard of anyone being like, wow, she How came off real bad to me. Like Charlene, <laughs> like, like you Pablo must be a monster. Even, she doesn't seem like the other women that Juan Pablo goes for in a way, but it's almost like she's just so like, beautiful and wonderful that he's just like I just gravitates to her just like everyone else he also seems uh, to have so much regard for her and admiration for her that it's really it softened me my feelings about him to watch him be so clearly in awe of and impressed by Charlene and to me I was like oh that speaks well of him that he like recognizes how smart this person is how impressive she is how interesting she is and he seems like to be genuinely uh attracted to to those parts of her and I that made me like him better that I had forgotten um what a uh what a nice goodbye they have and (laughs) there are some like sort of circusy type edit moments you know she says she's missing the cerebral connection and then they show a scene where they're having a romantic date and she he says i like the word you just used and she says well what word and he's like, like i don't know the what words. the word was but i liked all the words you used the together. words very proper and she 
she looks sort of concerned. I don't know what she was actually thinking in that moment, but um, it's clear that there's something not gelling, but she cries when she says goodbye to him. She's not like, oh, you jerk, I'm leaving. They have this warm goodbye. He is very respectful. And one thing you see in that moment that you don't see in some of his other breakups is the, the, and I don't think women should be expected to do this, by the way, like this is something that Charlene does that I think puts him in a good light. And um, it's nice to treat other people well, but I don't think we should always be like, oh, women should bring out the best in men, but she does bring out the best in people. And you can see that in the way that, that she reads the best things into his intentions and into his words and that she gives back um, warmth to that. And that creates a po- positive feedback loop. Yeah. Um, you know, when he's like, oh, it's okay that you're leaving. She's like, it is okay. <laughs> you know, she does, she, that doesn't anger her. Um, and it turns into a very warm moment. And I'm not saying that like everyone should have that kind of conversation. Um, and clearly there's context behind this. Right. Like if you've had, like they had had a consistently warm connection, she felt, um, and she says this to us, you know, that she felt that they had connected on all of these things that he had asked her questions about herself. And so like when someone says it's okay that you're leaving, when you have that foundation, it changes the way you're going to receive that comment. Absolutely. There's just there, it's a very different encounter than I had remembered. And definitely warmed me up to Juan Pablo um, before the the darker the darker stuff comes. Um, we do get a quick catch up with Charlene on the episode and she you know says that Juan Pablo is very honest and the cultural difference um, language difference was really the reason that she finally was like clearly this just isn't someone I'm going to marry um, but we do get a glimpse of her husband now Andy um a little glimpse into her life they're buds with nick vile and uh yeah then we then we move on to let's talk about andy well we're going to we're going to talk about andy yes andy dorfman different from charlene's andy yes too many andys too many claire's in this episode um one of them is me but i still get confused um andy uh at this time is is not yet a, a bachelorette and author. She is a prosecutor, um, which we are reminded of. Uh, we see a conversation with Juan Pablo where she jokes about how, she doesn't even seem to be joking. She's like, I send the bad people to jail. Uh, see ya. She does a little like, see ya, sending them to jail. And Juan Pablo's like, uh, bad people. And she's like, yes, of course, bad Obviously, people. Obviously only good people. bad people. Good people don't good, go to jail. Good people are never prosecuted, nor are they incarcerated. It was just having um, just, a far more robust uh, understanding personally of the criminal justice system and mass incarceration. I was like, oh, yikes. And that, yeah. I didn't pick up on that the first time around. Bad on oh, me. It just, it was really wild to me that I didn't even remember that. Um, and it certainly read very differently to me now um, than it did at the time. Um, so Andy, you know, comes off very well, I thought, in this Oh, yeah. In this I was episode. totally reminded why, um, why I was so compelled by her. Yeah, like her, her arc with, with him at first is very 
romantic and warm. She's very vivacious. She's got this million watt smile all the time. She's gorgeous, obviously. She's laughing. She's, she's warm. smart. Like she's telling him she can't wait to have a family. Um, and then we come to fantasy suite. And she um, just delivers the sharpest indictment <laughs> of, you know, a leads character that I think maybe we've ever seen. She says she is a prosecutor. She is a pro she knows she and she sent him to bachelor jail. And it really, yeah. you know, it makes it works. you makes me think like was she falsely prosecutors? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it um, was it was still a satisfying thing to watch. You know, she says like the fantasy suite turned into a nightmare. Um, she felt like Juan Pablo just wasn't taking this seriously. I think the thing that really got me at the time and again, watching it back is that she can articulate, like, he wasn't listening to me. He wasn't asking questions about like the content of my life and who I am as a person. Um, she actually told us, which she didn't mention in her catch up, but she did tell us when she was on the podcast a few years ago that, uh, Juan Pablo like forced her to watch his own uh, professional soccer highlights during this fantasy suite, which wouldn't uh, get me either. So, yeah, I mean, it's clear that that was not the best use of the time. You have your whole life to watch your fiance's soccer highlight clips, um, you know, after you make the decision. It's not like germane necessarily to whether you decide to be with them. Um, and, you know, she asked him, like, do you know what religion I practice, my political views, how I want to raise my kids, any of these things? And he's like, nah, nope. Um, and, and she says in her catch-up, you know, this was, the context was that I'd been hearing and I'd been experiencing, also hearing from other women, you would tell him something meaningful to you and he'd just be like, okay. Um, he wouldn't seem to absorb the information. He wasn't asking questions about about women, everything, the whole conversation would just be about him. Um, I think every woman who's dated extensively is pretty familiar with that dynamic. Um, so that certainly sounds quite plausible. Yeah. Um, I also want to note um, something I didn't at the time because it was spread out, but both Andy and Charlene are wearing white or off-white button-down blouses and matching dress shorts it's wow. like a breakup uniform it's a breakup uniform also i remember when fancy uh shorts were a very common fashion oh, item. Yeah. i definitely owned some in 2014 hey i think that they should always exist like why why are fancy skirts always a thing and fancy shorts only sometimes i agree that's what i think um so you know, the way this conversation unfolds, I had forgotten this, but at the beginning, I sort of thought Andy was being unreasonable, you know, like she's sits him down and is like, I'm not in love with you. And that sucks for me to realize, but like you wasted my time and I don't love you and I have to leave. And he was like, okay, like if that's what you want, I respect that. And she's like, it's not okay. And I was like, oh, right. Like, wow. I remember okay. the beginning of this being like, why is she picking a fight with him when he's trying to just let her leave nicely. Um, and then as the conversation goes on, we see some sort of things come out that present him in a, in a less flattering light. She seems to be trying to pull things that happened off camera or that maybe didn't get shown um, that hurt her feelings. 
um, which he sort of concedes to. Like she says, you know, you told me that it was a toss up between me and Renee uh, and I got here by default. And he was like, no, no, I didn't say that. I told you you barely made it. And I remember thinking that that was a not terrible defense. Him. Not great. Not great. Um, and so as the conversation goes on, he definitely comes off worse and worse, which I think is a testament both to Andy's prosecutorial skills and also to the fact that he probably wasn't being a very good um, a good romantic partner to her in the context of their their time on the show. Right. It seems like truthfully, he probably had feelings for in a real way for Claire for Nikki and then maybe for Charlene and he just sort of brought Andy along and then didn't make any effort to listen to her and she picked up on that like that seems true yeah like it seems true and and so I understand why she would read that as like you're wasting my time you clearly have no interest in me as a person Mm -hmm. why am I here to an extent it's like well he had to bring someone um yeah but it is just like kind of a rude she got to be be bachelorette yeah because she Um, I mean it's at the time it was revolutionary and honestly it still feels like unusual for someone to even acknowledge like why didn't you ask me about my politics and the way I want to raise my kids and my religious background like we still rarely hear these things brought up um and I did love that he was like well what's my religion she's like yeah you're catholic I know he's like yeah oh Yes, I am. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting thing that a lot of these things did end up happening during his season, that these sort of privileges maybe of masculinity that tend to protect bachelors from confrontation and from uh, villainization for for the way that they act um, really collapsed uh, for Juan Pablo in a lot of ways. The show turns on him and the audience turns on him and the women turn on him um, when, when there's an opportunity. And I, I do think it's probably not a coincidence and Charlene definitely um, speaks to this very well in our interview. Yeah. No, I um, absolutely agree. And it's not to say that like, he shouldn't have been called on some of these behaviors, but I think it is important to note that he is not held or other bachelors are not held to the standard that Juan Pablo was. Um, Absolutely. And that yeah. certainly, uh, yeah, sucks. again, isn't it? It sucks um, <laughs> and it's not a coincidence. Uh, we get a little Let's catch up with Andy. Andy. We get a little catch oh, up with yeah. Andy. Uh, she moved from New York to LA. She just finished her third book. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, it, I thought it was interesting that she said she sort of regretted telling him off in the way that she was and that like, for her, I it was see that to be yeah. honest, like I, it worked out for her. Like it was, it made her kind of her image. But I can see looking back and being like, I was dating. I was younger. I was more impulsive than I than I am now. Looking back, I see ways that maybe I was unfair in that argument. I definitely have regrets about how arguments have gone, even if I won them. You know, in the past Absolutely. in my dating I, life, I just I thought it was cool that she sort of said like I've been revisiting um what I said and how I reacted and like not that it made her bad that she she did that but that like it was the result of this sort of cumulative piling on of things and not just that conversation and she like probably wouldn't have eviscerated him in the same way today (sighs) okay Nikki pediatric nurse 
Kansas City. Um, yeah, Nikki um, has kind of receded from the Bachelor spotlight since she and, and Juan Pablo broke up. Um, so I'd forgotten a lot about her. Uh, she's gorgeous, obviously. Um, I love that she like loves her job so much and that she's still doing it. We find out in her catch up, which I always love when they're really passionate about their job if they haven't given it up to be an influencer. Um, some people, you know, don't love their jobs and whatever become an influencer, but it's, it's nice to see that, that love. Um, and she and Juan Pablo just have a really solid relationship. It seems like they are very relaxed together, but also butterflies. Um, she's ready to be a stepmom to Camilla. She loves kids, obviously. Um, and they really play up that she just is confident about their connection being more and better and more special than what he has with other women. And that she thinks that she will be engaged at the end of the show. Yeah, it feels like the show was really setting her up for embarrassment and disappointment because she was right in her assessment that like, I think she and Juan Pablo were kind of the the end result of this from pretty early on. And I assume he knew that fairly early on. Um, at least that, that's how it feels. But mm-hmm. he was not comfortable and was having a lot of doubts about actually proposing. And so they set her up to be really disappointed even though I don't know that that would have, that she would have felt disappointed with like leaving with a relationship if it hadn't been so built up as like, well, if he really loves you, he's going to say it and he's going to give you a ring. And I'm going to say this, well, Pablo is not innocent here because he does the same thing in his proposal, which or his non-proposal, which is, you know, after his painful <laughs> interlude breakup with Claire, which we'll get to in a bit, he sees Nikki, Nikki pours out her heart. Uh, he says, you know, you're great. This is great. But, you know, getting engaged, marriage, that's very serious, big thing. So, and I don't really feel that with you. <laughs> so I have a ring in my pocket, he says, but I'm not going to use it. Uh-uh. I thought the uh-uh really sold it. Um, but, you know, the specifics <laughs> she of just how looked- <laughs> She looks so confused. She's like, am I getting broken up with? Like, what is happening? Right. Like, it's the way he's talking about it is clearly, rather than to outpour his love, is to establish boundaries immediately. Like, boundaries on what he's offering her. But then to dangle the ring kind of cuts against that. It's like he's repeatedly offering her, like, what could be available in a relationship. And then being like, it's not going to be that. It won't. No, not that. Um So he's saying, basically, I'm not 100% sure I want to marry you, but I'm 100% sure that I want to keep dating you. I like you a lot. A lot. Wink. That part, Um, I think, was just, I don't think it came off uh, in the endearing way he thought it would. Yeah, I think that, you know, some of this was just simply him being... Well, it's hard to know, and I always wonder with with people... um, and in my case, um, but with, with people in relationships is like, are you doing this thing that seems designed to make me insecure intentionally to make me insecure? Or are you doing it because you're a bad communicator? <laughs> or in his case, maybe a bad communicator plus a language barrier. And a yeah, barrier. It's, it's really hard to know. tease out what is what, uh, especially in this situation. Yes, but, uh, but she, she does accept the rose. Accepts. 
the rose and then we cut which this is i think the only um season that they show any of the after the final rose but yeah they show the the very memorable clip of juan pablo being asked by chris harrison whether he is in love with nikki and juan pablo keeps saying chris i'm not gonna tell i won't tell you that i'm not gonna tell you that and chris won't drop it and keeps being like you're not gonna tell me whether you love this woman this woman sitting here you're not gonna tell me that and nikki is just sitting there you know Juan Pablo's arm is around her, smiling tightly. Silent. I felt so bad for her watching this back. So then we get a catch up with Nikki. Yes. And she is now married. She has the standard issue white, enormous Nancy Myers kitchen that all of the women we catch up with have. Um, and she she does say, you know that she expected a proposal, that she was really confused by what he said, that she thought he was dumping her initially. And then things did kind of get worse because he wouldn't say he loved her. Even, it sounds like through the end of their relationship. So they never ended up moving to the same city because she didn't want to uproot her life for someone who wouldn't even say that. And she felt like she was still waiting to be picked throughout their whole relationship. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this relationship in part was sort of set up to fail. And then also like, and she even says this, like Juan Pablo didn't do her or himself or them as a couple really any favors and didn't make it any easier. Um, But, you know, she seems to still like have fond memories of their connection and their time together, um, at least in part, you know, outside of kind of that end. And yeah, as you said, she she still works at the children's hospital. She has a husband now. She has said she has a cat, I think. Like she seems and a great. Dog. And a dog. She seems yeah. She seems fantastic, which seems like brings it worked us out. To Claire Crawley, the woman of the I was going to say hour, but like 3 hours, unfortunately. <laughs> I really just kept going. Um there the whole episode is really geared around framing her for the upcoming season and honestly it it ended up being quite obvious that they didn't touch it in any meaningful way after everything that happens on her season um they don't seem to be acknowledging or accounting for the fact that she doesn't really have the bachelorette journey that they hoped for we also get an awkward moment where becca uh kufran comes on to talk about what a great bachelorette Claire will be. And she says, oh, things worked out for me um, after my rough breakup on the show because I got to find love on The Bachelorette. And I was like, would, oh, couldn't they have just like cut that? Cut that? I don't know. Yeah. I just, given given the, the things that have been going on uh, with Becca's relationship, it just seemed... Uh, like none of this was edited with a, an eye to what's happened in the past month, um, especially the many, many conversations about what a great bachelorette Claire is going to be. Um, so Claire, uh, we do revisit her opening package, which I appreciated because it's been a while since we've been like introduced to Claire. At the time she was 32 from Sacramento. Um, she's the youngest of six girls um her father um has passed away from brain cancer and they clearly had a very special relationship uh before he died he made a dvd for her future husband to watch that no one else has ever seen um 
and hopefully by now, you know, someone has seen it. Uh, it sounds like things worked out for Claire, but we'll have to wait to find out, I guess. Um, and she and Juan Pablo really hit it off from the beginning. I forgot how like overly earnest and invested in the fairy tale Claire is. Like, oh, I think yeah. all of her mannerisms um, are not canned and it's they're genuine to how she communicates and her personality, but they are like, they feel a little overwrought on screen. Um, but you know, I still, I still love her and I'm excited. I'm excited to see her if I, if briefly, um, on yeah. this season, but you know, she, yeah. she seems to put a lot of weight in Juan Pablo's relationship with his daughter and that being sort of the evidence for her that he is like a good man and would make a good partner, uh, which now that I say that, I think seems like inherently sort of connected to the relationship she had with her own father and sort of like how meaningful that was to her. And so I think she sort of sees that as like, well, if you are like a really wonderful girl dad, then you would make a really wonderful partner, which yeah, sometimes is true, father of but a daughter. sometimes is, is not true. You can uh, be a real true. asshole and be the father of a daughter. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, the way she talks about it is almost like, wow, you have this rare, elusive quality in a man, which is that you love your daughter. And I was like, actually, Claire, I think it's pretty common. Like, I don't, maybe not every man you meet is someone with a daughter that he loves, but like most men with daughters, I think, do love them um, a lot. Hopefully. Even. Yeah. Hopefully. I hope mean, so. Um, but you know, a lot of the buildup is also about how much she trusts him. And, you know, she's had a lot of disappointments, a lot of unavailable men she's dated, but she's like opened herself up to this, to trusting him. One thing that they kind of cut is some early bumps in their relationship. Yeah. I was really frustrated actually that they cut this. And I don't know whether this was a clear request or just kind of in line with the fact that the show doesn't want to touch things that sort of divided the audience, but Early in the season, Claire goes to Juan Pablo and they end up going into the ocean and like, yeah, it's sort of like at night, technically not a date time, kind of a private visit to his room. And clearly had some sort of sexual encounter. I mean, she has said um, that they didn't have sex. Like, honestly, I don't think it's here or there, like exactly what sex acts occurred. It doesn't really matter. But he... um, ends up pulling her aside the next day and basically like slut shaming her and telling her that what she did set a bad example for his daughter like almost just implying like she bore more responsibility for their um encounter and that like implying that they should both feel shame around it which like really should have been a perhaps a bigger red flag about this relationship and that's sort of a theme that carries over later in the season this like the this valuing of Claire specifically for um her her the physical connection you know they're on a helicopter on like their last date before proposal and they have um an off camera off mic'd moment and he leans over and says something about how he he doesn't know her at all but he loves fucking her (laughs) Yes, that does appear to be what he said. Yes, that appears to be what he said. It's not like made clear in that moment, but I think that is that is definitely what was said. This is, of course, after Fantasy Suites. Um, and yeah. she's, she's shaken by this. 
yeah it 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 throws her it throws things off for her and that night at their sort of last chance at her place conversation um she opens the door he sort of waits for her to give him a kiss and instead she beckons him into the he's like where's my besito can i have it and she's like no come over here um he's like i'd like my besito <laughs> Um, Sir, no, read the room. I was like, this could not be a worse thing for you to insist on, given the substance of the conversation she wants to have. But basically, she's like, I need to know that you actually see yourself with me and want me here. And he's finally, he's like, oh, I like you. Sure. Yeah. And she's like, but really, though? And he's like, finally, he's like, oh, yes, I can see myself having a baby with you in two months and a life with you in Sacramento. And she's like, okay. Well, then that solves it. Right. And so proposal day is like the next day or the next time she sees him at least. And she's and like, she's, everything's fine. It's just perfect, perfect. fairy tale. It's, it's been a perfect, perfect fairy, fairy tale. tale. Claret has not been a perfect fairy tale, like at all. We all saw the, all the other stuff that happened. Um, but she doesn't think he has any doubts. He's like really effectively <laughs> reassured her. And she gives her little speech. And then he says, you know, you're great this was a very hard decision. And that's clearly the moment when she knows she's She's like, this is not going to go well for me. And so he says, I have to say goodbye to you. And he immediately leans in for a hug. She pushes him away and she's then sort of starts in on him in a way that's quite famous. And Becca and Deanna come on after this um, to talk about Claire as a bachelorette. And they both say, you know, we were both kind of dumped really painfully on the show. Um, But it's incredible how Claire was able to articulate it in a way that we weren't in the moment. And I was like, you guys are both blindsided. The thing about Claire is that she clearly has a lot of resentments from the things he did to her earlier in the season that she has suppressed. And now it's all coming out. Yeah. She's like, wait, there's nothing left. <laughs> Fuck this dude. And I, I understand that impulse. And she she just says to him, like, I would never want my children having a father like you. And she just like points her finger at him and like walks away. And then Juan Pablo, again, doing the thing where he He's does himself no favors. It's, it's not cute not endearing yeah. it makes him seem like a real prick and like honestly if i were him i would have the same reaction but like you got it that, that's just not that's not playing well it doesn't look good like bad idea um no. and of course the show airs that because they hate him yeah um but it's weird there is like kind of a stew of grievances from claire and so she she, she says later to the camera you know she's crying she's like don't tell me you love fucking me don't tell me that and then she's also like don't tell me that you see a life with me so it seems like there's a combination of like the fact that he said these things to her that made her feel degraded and also the fact that he said things to her that made her feel hopeful about their relationship and it seems like that is actually a combination that made her so upset yeah and i honestly don't know if she conveyed that to him very clearly no, um, I think she's just furious. And so she just like, she's just furious. She's like, how him. dare yeah. you? How dare you like make me hope? And like, you're the worst. I'm glad you're not the father of my kids. And then later in her in the moments, I think it becomes a little more clear the exact things that, yeah, that put that together. Yeah. But we, you know, we do get a little catch up before um, we wrap up with Claire and we see her in in quarantine at the resort before filming and this is just like 
a great time to acknowledge that I am very excited to see this season of hers slash Tasha's, And I think it's going to be great. Um, and also a good reminder that, which they did not really mention in this entire thing, but Claire, you know, it came up because Juan Pablo, for us, because Juan Pablo was the first uh, Latinx bachelor. And I believe Claire is going to be the first Latinx bachelorette. Um, she is yeah. Mexican. Her mom Her is Mexican. Mexican. Yeah, which is something that um, was only was very lightly touched on, I think, in the original season, although it's so long ago, it's hard for me to even remember. But certainly it wasn't really gone into last night, which I think was a bit of a missed opportunity. Agreed. Um, but I think it's going to be, it's a lot of firsts for this season, um, clearly, just based on what we know and even based on what is officially the case uh, with Claire. Um, and it is a little bit funny for them to air as if no one knows what's happened to air this footage of her being like, I can't wait. I've been waiting all my life to do this. I'm going to be the best bachelorette and all the women being like, she's going to be the best bachelorette. And you know, it, it seems a little like odd that they left it like that. Um, however, it is promising to be an interesting season. And I, I hope that they take the opportunity to, address some of the deficits that they've had in the past um, around race and identity um, with Claire, with Tasha, and I hope that we see some romance for Claire and and that it's it's all that we've been promised because I want I want happiness for her. Me too. And also the guy that she allegedly ends up with is very handsome. So that's just like a nice, pleasant side of eye candy for all of us. I just want, you know, it's been a long time. It's been a year since I've recapped a live episode of this show. We are ready. Um, we are I'm so ready. ready. I'm ready to see two just like super hot people fall in love on TV and to talk Same. about it with you. I'm ready for that. And I'm ready to go on this journey. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I think that that's basically a wrap on Greatest Seasons. Um, I, it was a wild ride. And I, I do want to take this opportunity to thank Emma and Sarah and Nick and Greg, if he ever listens to this, for, <laughs> for making the taping of this season on my end possible at all. It wasn't always easy. And you guys did so much to help me with having Max at home through this. And I just love you all. And I'm glad we were able to do this. I mean, we love you too. And honestly, uh, Max is really a gift to all of us because <laughs> I get to see sweet baby cheeks on video, like at least twice a week now. So it's pretty great. Uh, yeah. it's pretty awesome for all of us. I, I will say. So thank you, Max, for that, that gift to the world. Now we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll hear from Charlene Joint about her take on Juan Pablo's season and the way that The Bachelor deals with the representation of non-Black people of color. And now back to the show. We are so excited to have you, Charlene, a, a very close friend of the pod on today. This is really a pleasure, even though, um, unfortunately, we can't all be in the same physical space still. 
I mean, I'm wearing pajama pants, so it's only somewhat. <laughs> I put on like a nice top and I'm wearing yoga shorts. So yeah, doesn't matter. Doesn't I matter. mean, the bottoms just no longer matter in a professional <laughs> setting. It's like not relevant. It's really wild. Yeah. You just um, deserve credit for wearing them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We do deserve credit. Yes. Um, so we're so excited to talk to you about Juan Pablo's season. We weren't able to talk to you about it uh, at the time because Here to Make Friends didn't exist. So thank God for this journey into the past. Um, Thanks so- for aging me, Claire. <laughs> well, age- aging all of us, to be honest. Yes, fair, <laughs> fair, fair. The podcast didn't exist, but we certainly did. We were adults in the world. Um and we did watch the season. It's a personal favorite for both of us. And uh, so why don't we why don't we start with, you know, just remind our audience how you ended up on the show to begin with? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people end up on this show because they're having some sort of, you know, probably small and irrelevant, but still at the time feels very like huge a crisis. Like I was uh, almost 30 and newly single and uh unhappy with uh where I was living I was in Germany and while I was doing everything right for my career I was extremely lonely and unhappy and I had been watching the show for many years and you know they always have that are you interested in dating our next bachelor or bachelorette apparently that works because I (laughs) totally went to an open casting call when I was in New York City and the rest is history I don't it if a lot of it was on a whim but then it sort of snowballed from there that's that's usually the way it seems to go from all the people that we've spoken with. It's like, oh, on a whim, I did this thing. And then suddenly I was on TV a few months yeah. later. <laughs> Interestingly, I feel like the people who put a lot of plot, like a lot of plotting into that either don't make it on or don't make it very far. It's it's almost like you have to not take it really seriously. <laughs> Honestly, the way you describe that and the way that we're talking about it, it makes it sound so much like joining a cult but if you are having a crisis definitely go on the bachelor instead i'm just you know, don't join nixium i've been watching the vow on hbo not sure if anyone else has but it's like really in my head don't join a cult in upstate new york join the bachelor join the bachelor instead i mean you do find yourself i could it actually you know there it did serve its purpose in my life at that time i will say <laughs> So when you first signed up and when we're going through the, the casting process, I mean, you said you did watch the show before. Were you aware or sort of conscious of the show's history of kind of like overwhelming whiteness? And if you were, was that something that you thought about when you were going through casting? I mean, it, it was something I had often noticed. I had been watching the show for a very long time before I went on despite how I might it might have seemed a lot of people thought based on how I was on the show that I had never seen it before (laughs) but actually I had watched it for years and it was a secret guilty pleasure of mine so yes I was indeed aware of the lack of diversity on the show I I'm not gonna lie like I was aware of the fact that they I remember saying this that when I flew out to LA and you know you're put in a hotel for a couple of days before you actually get out of the limo And one of the executive producers said to me, he was like, we're so happy this worked out. We weren't sure if you were going to back out because they really thought that until the very last second, I was really like, and I was like, well, you don't have any other half Asian opera singers waiting in the wings. (laughs) And he laughed pretty hard at that. But it's true. Like there, no one, no one else. There's not a lot of people that aren't white. (laughs) 
it's just a show. fact. It's just a fact. Yeah. Yeah. Try as they might to pretend that's not the truth. So so you you talked about a little bit in casting, like when you got to the house, um, was it something that I mean, you had Juan Pablo, the first Latino bachelor was race and and culture something that people were talking about that were cognizant of was it something that that you were noticing in the house it's funny you say that because i just finished writing my own recap about this and i talked about this it's incredible how for how willing they were to shout from the rooftops that they cast their first latino bachelor the lack of interest in his actual culture was pretty astounding if you think about it it wasn't really that discussed he came to our to the mansion one morning and made us a rapas i'm sure i'm saying that wrong but you know a venezuelan yeah pancake thing and that was pretty cool like i wish we'd had more moments like that if i'm honest yeah, yeah. i mean i think it's and and that definitely i think is then reflected because i was reflecting on my own response to his casting and the fact that you know I feel like we are usually pretty cognizant of when there is that kind of milestone because it, it happens uh, not that often on the show. And yet I think probably in part because of, because uh, Juan Pablo is very light skinned and the fact that he just like very quickly uh, soured in the, the public, in the, you know, hall of public opinion, you know, he made obviously some really shitty ham-fisted homophobic remarks like early in January so I think that in part overshadowed it but also I think it is a reflection of the fact that the show does this thing where they sort of absorb people into whiteness if they can oh that's Um, so well put very well put I love that the use of absorb in that sentence is really true yeah I agree I mean from what I understand I, I you know during I mean, of course, Black Lives Movement is continuing to go on, but when it was really just just happening, I did a lot of posts about it, and I remember Lucy, the free spirit from my season, chimed in to say, yeah, all my scenes, like, I spoke in Spanish with Juan Pablo in the majority of my scenes, and none of that was shown. Spanish is her first language, amazingly. You would what? never know that. Yes. Oh, my and God. And she's, you know, in all these scenes, speaking Spanish, Spanish with him. And then, you know, they show a spot where she's not. And she has her bare feet across his lap. And, and that's her whole know, with, personality. With the, yeah, with the jokester music. And it's, I mean, and what's one thing if Lucy's just not going to make it far on the season. That's one thing. But if you're going to show her, at least do her the justice of showing any kind of semblance of like an authentic exchange that's in both of their native tongues. Also, yeah. like, especially because uh, the language barrier was such a communication issue with, you know, in some of his relationships, it's really odd to me that they didn't take the opportunity to show him speaking um, in a language that he was more comfortable with. Yeah, it almost felt like it was something actively kind of just swept under the rug. Maybe I'm being pessimistic by saying that. I don't think so. Well, I think <laughs> it's interesting that when you... Uh, meet him you say i i don't speak spanish so i'm sorry like we're going to have this barrier and the show doesn't treat it that way as a whole like you're kind of the only acknowledgement of that that we got which is 
the assumption is he's going to date a bunch of women who speak English and he's going to have to speak English with them like 100% of the time. The women who do speak Spanish, it's only shown as like a cute little moment, if anything. Oh, that's um, so true. Like it's, it's, and then the focus is on his accent. Like everyone loves yeah. his accent. <laughs> it's so exotic. It's sexy. Um, and that is one of the ways that I think it does kind of flatten. Um, it's instead of like a specificity, you see like just an otherness that he yes brings. oh yeah. that's another thing I mentioned about how it watching it especially I don't know something about seeing it all like squished together in like one episode it, and especially with where things are today I just couldn't believe how narrow-minded and and just provincial it felt it just felt so like well that's not how we communicate we use the word love <laughs> it's like maybe like I know from experience that like, when I lived in Germany they don't throw around the word love lightly and lots of cultures don't and if you're not absolutely sure maybe you don't want to say it and of course that starts to get into this other discussion about authenticity and you know whether or not he really s- helped himself in his <laughs> image by being that true to himself but the point remains that instead of trying to understand the ways in which he was different, he was just condemned for them, for being different. Yeah, that, that's something that I think Emma and I were both struck by how many moments last night we felt sympathy for him and we felt like he was being misunderstood and then how quickly it was often followed by a moment where we were like no I don't think that's <laughs> cultural he's just being rude and but it's hard for us to Uncertain what's what yeah and it yeah. seems like he was really kind of set up for failure by being on this show um where the the women and the audience don't really have the the, the literacy in his culture and and as you said just... there was no effort made on the part of the show to bridge that divide like some of that some of that can be taught right it's not that people from different cultures cannot cultivate a relationship but if there's no expectation of having to do that mutual learning, yes, then that's not yeah. going to work. It, I mean, when you always hear about leads getting a personal trainer and they get, you know, a glow up of sorts, you would think there would be some sort of a, I don't know, a little, maybe a, some kind of a, a meeting <laughs> about maybe what's, how they could find a middle ground and what would be expected of each other. I, I highly doubt that happened if I'm honest and and for what it's worth we don't have to get into this but he was really not that bad I know there were (laughs) some moments where you're like oh that came off but I think that he truly could not fake being interested in someone he wasn't interested in and instead of just getting through it and and you know putting on the the correct facial expression or saying the right thing he just couldn't fake it which it is not a good it just seems ungracious you know and sometimes dickish yeah there were there were like some dickish dickish moments yeah (laughs) I mean I think that is something we did want to talk to you about a little bit actually is you know a lot of um in Bachelor Nation he's sort of reviled a lot of the women from his season really turned on him you're sort of the rare high-profile uh, Juan Pablo defender. High-profile. <laughs> the most famous of Juan Pablo's defenders. <laughs> um, yeah, so it seems like you guys are still friendly. Um, I mean, 
what else do you think contributed to this? Is it just that he wasn't faking it at all? Or was there was there anything else that kind of um, got lost in translation that that led to him becoming this huge Bachelor World villain? For me, I, I don't want anyone to think that it's like, oh, I'm... My defense of Juan Pablo is based on my experience with Juan Pablo. So I don't presume to speak to the experience of any other women if they felt like he was dismissive or insensitive, didn't care about them. In my experience, he cared plenty. He asked me many questions, remembered the answers to my questions. We bonded over many things that I don't think he necessarily had with other women there, even though we had a massive language barrier. Massive. I don't speak any Spanish, like none. And I'm also like a very wordy person. I I know from experience, having gone to a music school with a largely South Korean population, because there's a lot of singers that come over uh, to study music, that I'm difficult to understand. (laughs) English is not your first language. I've learned this. And so... So we had a lot to sort of overcome, but there was still an understanding that I felt seen and understood and cared about. So I understand watching it back how, particularly with Claire at the end there, you're kind of like, oh. But to me, that comes down to how he deals with conflict and these traits of his that are maybe childish, uh, he's he retaliates when you know mm-hmm. when someone comes at him. He digs his heels in when he thinks something's expected of him that he doesn't want to do. But I don't see how those individual traits are necessarily any worse than traits we've seen in dozens, if not hundreds, of contestants we've seen over the years. It's just if you have them all lined up side by side, combined with a cultural difference, combined with a language barrier, with a villain edit it's going to look pretty bad. It is. Yeah. No, I think you're right. It's like the, and what I was struck by, again, watching it all condensed, was just that those most, like, dickish moments were the only things I remembered about him. Those, (laughs) that, you know, those were the things that were most highlighted. And I also think it was unusual because it's rare that the show allows the audience uh, to see their lead in such an unflattering light yes to me is part of what made the season honestly so much fun like it felt I agree more realistic like there were women who were just like yeah I'm not into this guy and he was also like yeah I'm not into some of these women like but I have to say just for the record sorry to interrupt yeah, you no, during fine. filming everyone was fucking into him it's just <laughs> such bullshit the whole like oh we knew all along that's why I also can't stand how my leaving story is like kind of pushed into this narrative of like me seeing the red flags before anyone else no I didn't feel like it was the correct or honest or authentic thing to do to stay it's not because I thought he was some secret asshole and I was like so smart to see it during filming no one said boo about Juan Pablo trust me everyone thought he was the bee's knees so that to me is always a little irritating and suddenly you watch it back and and it's like oh he's so terrible oh that's really interesting I feel like you have a a similar perspective as Jacqueline Trumbull who left Ari season who also like left of her her, own accord love Jacqueline she's (laughs) amazing um left of her own accord but also she's like 
very cool with Ari, was invited to their wedding, is on great terms with him, thinks he was like a fun person who was smart and interesting. But she mm -hmm. was just like, we weren't gonna end up together. Yeah, I think it's almost which it's, is going to happen, by the way, with 29 out of 30 of you. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that had totally taken over your narrative to the point that, like, even though I watched the season and know you, like, I sort of had that narrative in my head and was a little bit, like, taken aback to revisit what actually happened, which is that you had a very friendly, emotional, like, loving goodbye and you both were very positive about each other. And I was like, oh, that's not how I had created a memory of that in my head based on the prevailing narrative. And it shows how powerful the show is in shaping the way we see what we see on the show. It's, um, it's very, very true. And that's why it, it, I found it hard to watch back, not only because of, you know you watch how your own words are twisted and things are set out of order and maybe you never said that sentence at all but with him you know there were a lot of moments that we shared that I felt would give him a lot of credit based mm -hmm. on what he said and based on the sorts of conversations we had that just those weren't shown no. instead we were shown a lot of like making out which was mm -hmm. truly a fraction of of what we had yes it was you know of course there was that but I just feel like moments that could have given him the benefit of the doubt or allowed people to give him the benefit of the doubt were conveniently missing. Mm -hmm. Were there any sentences that were aired that you were like, I never said that? <laughs> I'm curious. Oh, now. oh no. Yeah, there were, there were all sorts. But for me, the most painful one, this one was really painful. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, that first kiss, which was so bad, so bad so bad that I went back and I was like can we try that again um and I was wearing red lipstick terrible call um I after I remember I had an ITM where I, I still had the red lipstick still had that outfit and I was like that was a really bad first kiss like I was not like I'm not feeling that kiss you know, and I, I enjoyed our conversation. I appreciated the things he said to me. But, you know, if I'm going to be honest, the kiss wasn't great. And I was honest every step of the way. But then they took me saying that I felt like I was, you know, the kiss, you know, we had this amazing chemistry and I felt like I could see myself falling for him from a later episode and, and overlaid it in that spot. And I remember being so pissed because instead it makes me seem like I thought that was a great kiss and we had a kiss and now I'm on the track to falling in love and it's that textbook trajectory that every contestant has when I went so out of my way to not be that hmm. and that so it made me realize just how nothing was in my control if you if you oh utter God. words right if you utter words that's all that's all they need and it seems like such a small thing, but I remember watching that at the time and being like, that kiss looked incredibly awkward. Why is she saying great? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it made you look like a little delusional in that way. Oh, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we're getting the truth out yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, there were so many little moments like that. It's been seven years, though, and it's hard to remember them all. But that, to me, was... Even though there were probably even more insidious ones than that, that was just like... Oh, so it's not just like rearranging sentences. Like you're just going to take that from like two weeks later. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's all, it's only really noticeable to the listener because sometimes they do this when they reuse the same clip at completely different points in the season. And then you're yeah. like, 
Oh. oh, that sentence is extremely familiar. It's familiar. That's when I find one of the because in my recaps, you know, I'll take like the Frankie. Oh yeah, you're great moments. at pinpointing those. Whenever I catch one of those, it's like ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm like, yes, I knew it. It's very satisfying. It's like you know, digging for <laughs> digging for a little, I don't know, Easter eggs or something. <laughs> Uh, one thing that um, that got left out of the the recap episode was the first impression rose, and yeah. and uh. that whole um, sequence that you were very kind of befuddled. Can you talk <laughs> us through uh, what actually happened that night? So, fun fact: we, I, when I was first asked to do that interview, I was told that we would talk about that that it was going to be shown, but then the day of was like oh no it was after the fact that I texted the producer I was like oh I thought we were gonna talk about the first first impression rose I was like so excited I had my answer already I was so excited because my answer was very behind the scenes like I got permission to be really honest and to pull back the curtain and, and ultimately I think serve the show and my reasoning is I knew that probably no one else who spoke to Juan Pablo that night was as brutally honest as I was but I, again, I did it purposely. Like I, it, it was how I felt and I refused to say what was expected of me. And so I was like, it was a little underwhelming. Like it was just based on all the buildup. If I met him on the street, maybe he'd be great. But based on all the buildup, if I'm honest, like I've had better sparks with other men based on a 10 minute conversation before. <laughs> and so you can maybe see why when there's 30 of you and you know you said that and then he gives you the rose out of everyone... You're like, then this is too convenient. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I could see the producer. I told that to like off in the bushes. I had had two glasses of champagne and I'm a total lightweight. The whole situation, I was like, you know. You're like, it begins. Yeah. I was sure that this was, he was put up to it, that it wasn't his choice and that it's like, oh, let's get him to give it to her because she's the one that's maybe less interested. That's interesting. And I didn't want it in that case. Do you know what I mean? So I remember just pausing, looking over at the producer and looking at him, looking at the rose, looking at the producer and just being so paranoid. Like I would suck at Survivor, let me tell you right now. (laughs) So yeah, basically with that interview with Chris Harrison, I thought I was going to be asked that. And my intention in being honest with my answer was, it turns out there is, it's not all manipulated. He really, it really was his choice to give that to me. I was the one overthinking it. I was wrong. But it, they, you know, I wasn't interesting enough. <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because it actually surprised, I mean, maybe this became clearer to you later, but he was so impressed by you. And that's very, like, clear throughout the season from the way yeah. he talked about you. Um, so I guess I never understood why you were so surprised. <laughs> But it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, there were factors there that you can I could never properly express in that moment. Instead, I come off as being, in my opinion, a little rude. Uh, and and I, I actually think the background of that is, is quite funny and, and very behind the scenes and interesting to anyone who wants to watch the show critically. But unfortunately, you know, they would rather use that in a way to like oh haha like the girl he likes isn't like her you know that loser <laughs> yeah I don't always agree with 
their choices on what to include, especially in these recap episodes, because then we know what material they have to work with to a larger extent than usual. And so we're like, why would like, you why that? air why 10 totally minutes of the previous Bachelorette saying that they think Claire is going to be a great Bachelorette, but not address this whole episode from I totally season, agree. Or... Well, and that's why it, it got cut. But after I got off that call with him, I was like, oh, I wanted to talk about the first impression rose and the producer was like oh yeah well we we added this whole segment with all these former bachelorettes and they're going to come on and and I was like okay I, at that point I was like I'm amazed that you even included me in this episode but it I it shows where they were going with the whole thing for sure yeah I mean and Claire and I uh spoke about this but we felt like Claire Crawley was the through line rather than um you know, Juan Pablo being kind of the anchor of, of the recap. 100%. <laughs> I also talk about this in my recap. That, that's a whole other thing that I wasn't into. I just don't think it's necessary. It's been seven years. You did enough damage then. Uh, no one deserves that. In You know, it, it does. And I also, if the whole point was to make Claire look like this strong, empowered woman whether or not she tells off a guy especially after he dumps her is not in my opinion what makes a woman empowered it that has nothing she's empowered by being by her own traits by her own accomplishments and maybe by not falling for assholes in the first place it's you know it has you less mean to do this show doesn't have a really <laughs> oh, no. complex understanding of feminism <laughs> and female empowerment is that what you're saying i'm so confused <laughs> that's in in my knowledge of the world which is exclusively from the bachelor that's the only way to be empowered in fact <laughs> is to tell off a bachelor actually that's kind of a, a through line from the bachelor greatest seasons overall kind of yeah. in the end is that all of the bachelors turn out to be the most hated man in america <laughs> every single one of them is incredible and then the women become sort of uh stars by standing up to them in some way or um by telling them off or just women by can't be strong their in their own right yes. women can only be strong after a specific man has put them through trauma guys oh, that's you just, ladies you know i that, love you that's what we know <laughs> yeah i think i think at the time there was something sort of new about it that so many women were kind of telling him off instead of being sort of heartbroken and like okay you can walk me out i suppose but certainly um in 2020 it no longer feels particularly fresh it's um, also annoying to me that in this uh recap we got there's so much emphasis on how claire is going to be amazing again because she told juan pablo off but like so little about claire as a person like she you. is also about to be the I believe first Latinx bachelorette and yet we get almost like we get essentially nothing about the fact that her mother is Mexican. We're in kind of like a, a moment where there's a lot to say about being a Me Mexican. And it would make them look good by the way yeah. to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Yes. And also, you know, in the most cynical way, be good for the show when yes. they've just like spent 10 weeks just showcasing the vast whiteness uh, of their <laughs> you know back catalog i yeah. just but yet we have to have like four other women being like i was also traumatized and 
Mm-hmm. Claire is even stronger than me. Like, yeah. Oh. And all of these are accomplished, interesting women in their own right. Like, mm-hmm. it's not to, you know, I don't mean that as a dig at any of the bachelorettes they brought on. Yeah. If to me, though, actually, Claire's actual chat with Chris Harrison was, it kind of did, it served that purpose for me a bit, where she was like, well, you know, like, forgiveness, like, I've moved on, it's made me the woman I am. That kind yeah. of stuff, It to me, that was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is serving you. This is good for that empowered woman narrative. Not these, not these like zoomed in shots of you telling him what an asshole he is. And I also not to be, not to um, split hairs, but there's a big difference between telling off a guy after he breaks up with you and telling him off before he breaks up with you. I'm just saying though. (laughs) I actually agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's always been a little odd to me how that's like elided in that conversation yes which is that she she was quite obviously prepared ready to mm-hmm. overlook was... all and that's why she had the speech ready she had the speech ready because she had had all these thoughts and all these resentments and questions and she had decided to Suppress. bury them in order to like accept his proposal and then when it became clear that that was not going to happen that is when the stand all hell broke loose yes. right Interestingly, and I know because I rewound this many times when assembling my own recap, her grievances about him after the fact were about how he misled her, how he hurt her, you know, and how this reflected the man he was. It wasn't actually about the ways in which maybe she found him disrespectful or or insensitive. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It was about him misleading her. But if that's the beef then every bachelor does that. Right. Yeah, it only, I think, well, I think that her exit landed because we had the previous context That's of what the I was, fact that yes. he had said this, you know, crude thing to her off camera. I think that, that Claire, you know, she's clearly upset by the offensive remark. And I think that that kind of fuels her anger, but it isn't the part that she communicates Like, it's almost as if she said, after I was willing to overlook that nasty thing you said to me, Mm -hmm. I was willing to, like, eat that. I was willing Mm -hmm. to be sort of humiliated by you. And and I was willing to beg for reassurance. And then I trusted your reassurance. And and that seems like it then gets transmuted into the bargain we had was I would eat all of that and then you Mm -hmm. would propose to me and then you didn't and so I feel betrayed and that seems like a slightly different thing from either purely I was angry about being treated disrespectfully or purely I was misled yeah it's almost like she was like willing to make a certain trade-off and it's so true yes Yeah, that whole scene, it's a shame that that was the backbone of the episode, really. You know, there was so much hype around that moment, but it's an incredibly flawed moment if the intention is to paint her as a woman who knows what she wants and is so empowered. And don't get me wrong, I think Claire is a woman who knows what she wants and is empowered. It's just not relating to that moment. In fact, I think that moment works against that somewhat. But, you know, it's everyone at Final Two is a complete basket case so you know like I don't blame her I just think if you're going to make that the 
the major argument of an entire three-hour recap episode, then it needs to be... It was not the right choice. (laughs) Right. And this just gets back to the show's, you know, kind of inherently flawed definition of what makes women worthy or strong um, or empowered, which like... We, I could have a whole discussion about the word <laughs> empowered because I, I know it like means nothing anymore. But I had to start yeah. looking for uh, synonyms. Yeah, <laughs> like it's been ruined. Yeah, um, narrative and badass? empowered. <laughs> oh yeah, oh god, she's just a girl boss, badass, empowered woman. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, also, I, I do want to talk a little bit about your exit because you're, you know, we don't see that many people kind of self self eliminate. Did you get pushback from production when you brought up the fact that you wanted to go home on of your own accord? Um, it, you know, I, it's worth mentioning that everyone wants to go home at some point. <laughs> like this yeah. happened. Like Claire wanted to go home. Nikki wanted to go home. I wanted to go. Like it seems like the whole time I wanted to go home, but there was really just one moment where I was like, oh, I think I want to go home, and that was at week six in New Zealand. And I remember a producer being like, just try sticking it out because I know this is hard because I was having a hard time with the social aspect, not with necessarily, you know, I didn't feel a strong enough connection with him to maybe warrant my discomfort with the social aspect. And he was like, well, try stick it out because things really change when you reach final four. Like you don't have to live in the same house with women. At least you you didn't then. Apparently, if you're on Peter Weber's season, you do. Uh, But... Uh, other than that, I don't think I wanted to necessarily go home more than other people, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. You just feel like they like gave you the green light in that moment. I think in that moment, I, he, was, he kind of talked me out of it, which they do with everyone. And when I was like, okay, there came a point with my... What I, I was pretty sure I would get a hometown date. And then he, Juan Pablo ended up confirming that for me when I watched it on television. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, moving parts to having a hometown date in Canada. And, and a producer was like, well, let's talk about this. Do you know what you'd want to do? And like, do you think you want to get to that point? And at that point, I was already just like, I had one foot out the door. And it just felt like I would be faking it at that point. And so yeah. I did not get much pushback when it came to that point, for sure. So it was logistical to a certain extent that, that the show okay allowed that. me. But they were like, that actually maybe in some ways serves them to not have to deal with deal with that. I, th- I don't want to put too much emphasis on that because mm-hmm. I know if I had shown any hesitation they would have moved mountains. You know, yeah. Kate, Caitlin once had a hometown in, somewhere in the States. I, I know that they would honor that if I wanted to stay. I, I think that it, it more so made it, like we ended up having a conversation about it more so than we might have otherwise because yeah. as early as like week five, the producer when we were like at an airport was like, do you... You know, I talked to your I talked to your parents last, you know, yesterday and what what are your thoughts on And so I do think I because of, I'm not American actually and my hometown would not be in the states. I ended up I don't know, it wasn't a guarantee, of course, but it was something they were thinking about. 
Right. It required more planning. So that was more in the conversation. So it was more in your mind being like, is this, would this be an authentic thing to do? Yes. If it requires all of this. And I mean, planning. to get back to logistics, it was a disaster. Like my dad was in Cambodia doing volunteer dental work on children. And it was like that fell smack dab in the middle of it. And it's like, are you really going to fly my dad back from Cambodia and like rob these children from getting They're going to have to wait work? for their drillings until... <laughs> Sorry. And then Until, meanwhile, <laughs> uh, your father can be asked for your hand in marriage <laughs> by a man. <laughs> and meanwhile, my poor mother, who does speak English as a second language, like didn't feel super comfortable, understandably, being on national television without my father there. And my older sister couldn't give a rat's ass about this show and was like, I don't want to do that. And then my younger sister was like, that sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> <It> was- <laughs> It was not like a sweeping, like, yes, we're all here and available, and this is the coolest thing to ever happened yeah, to they us. They were like, if we have to, we'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you could see how many factors would sort of lead to an, an eventual conclusion. Yeah. And no, it, supported, it supported a feeling I had anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned some like the social dynamic being a factor for you. Like, are there any women from the season that you befriended that you still hang out with or was it was it a pretty difficult thing for you to find that in the house you know I actually didn't have any enemies in the house I I think I had I was friends with everyone I think that it's it even if you're not directly entrenched in drama doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you and I think that explains why a lot of contestants behave the way they do and do get as upset as they do when other drama is going on because not only is it just bad juju to be around all the time but it affects how much sleep you get what you're how much you get to talk about what you want to talk about that's why whenever we talk about Corinne I'm like it's not about the nap it's not about the 10 minute nap it's the fact that that 10 minute nap will have a ripple effect into the experience of every other woman there and how late her ITM goes and what, how many girl chats she has to have and what they talk about on those girl chats. So, you know, the whole Claire versus Nikki thing, which amazingly wasn't shown last night. Wasn't totally shown. There was like no drama shown at all. It was incredible. <laughs> I was like, wow, how did you do that? That was like a magic trick. <laughs> yeah. But that to be around that kind of energy and my closest friend in the house was Kelly and she you know left in week five and I still had Kat but then she left in week six and by then I was just like a wreck yeah and it can't yeah it it seems so trivial now but when you're there and you don't have anyone but a producer who you also only kind of sort of trust to confide in it really takes a toll on you day in and day out yeah I can imagine that I mean that's your whole world Yes. In that moment. Wait, like even if you don't want it to be, it's right. always brought back to it. Yes. There's there's no other forces getting in there. Yes. And they're good at what they do. It works. Yeah. <laughs> I felt it work on me. Like it, I was in it and I was like, this is this is working. <laughs> <laughs> My journal tells me so. <laughs> <laughs> at least you have your journal. Yes. Your portal to the outside world. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, and in terms of friends, sorry to answer your question. Yeah, I, 
you know, I was texting all the girls last night, but I would say the person that I probably talk to the most is Kelly, even though I haven't seen her in a while. And I love Kat. Love Kat. Recently, I reconnected with Renee. She's super sweet. Chelsea. There's, and even Nikki, she and I were texting last night. Like, we, it's, there's no bad blood, but I think... Because people watch you also fall in love with each other and become friends on TV. They're like, oh, these lifelong friendships. They're going to be each other's bridesmaids and they'll be friends forever. (laughs) I mean, if you're not in the same city and what brought you together was this very otherworldly, unrealistic experience, it doesn't necessarily mean that that will translate into real life when your lives don't actually line up at all. Right. Yeah, that's completely reasonable. And, and you know, that's the sort of thing that happens with all all friendships. People are not in your daily life and that just changes yes. you know, the content of that friendship. It doesn't yes. mean like you hate each other. <laughs> yeah. It's just. Yeah. As juicy yeah. as that would be. Yeah. It's yeah, not what, what it means. I was trying to get you to finally say who you hate. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Worth a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So another thing that we really wanted to talk with you about is obviously you are a biracial, non-Black person of color. um, (laughs) And we've been spending a a lot of time on on this season of our show talking about, you know, what diversity does and could look like um, on and behind the scenes of the Bachelor franchise and specifically focusing on Black contestants and staffers because of the moment we're in, because blackness really is like the benchmark around which American racism was built. You know, Mm -hmm. it makes sense for us to focus on that. Um, But it, uh, you know, I think we're also really curious to talk about how non-black people of color in the franchise fit into that conversation about diversity and representation. And I'm curious if you have just kind of like macro thoughts on that. And also if you feel like your racial identity played into your time on the show at all. Ooh. Yeah, sorry. Big, big question. <laughs> to go, you know, chat this through. Uh, it's it's funny f- for me because while I am half Chinese and I recognize that people look at me and they see that I'm Asian, I still have always had a bit of an identity crisis with this because. You know, when some people have told me I don't that I look white and other people are like, I thought you were completely Asian. Like there's what I've learned about being half Asian is that it it looks so different to different people that it's hard to really have an identity around it other than Mm -hmm. to feel different, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, Recently on my podcast with Andy, we said that he that I wasn't his type. And there was a lot of like hoopla around that because it was like, what does that mean? Does it mean he doesn't like Asian women? But first of all, I think it's it's totally fair to say that. And second of all, I grew up never seeing anyone else who looked like me. Now you'll see many biracial, like part Asian children, but it's I never had that growing up. So I think it's people need to realize that that it maybe wasn't a type for a lot of people and maybe it's becoming one now. But if no one else looks like you, it's hard to say that you're what someone's type should be, if that makes sense. In terms of being on that show, it was a very weird experience just in that, and maybe this is a function of being from Canada, I just had never really had it focused on really before, if that makes any sense. Like, I remember talking to one contestant, and based on what we discussed, 
she made an assumption, and we had already been speaking. She would know that I had no accent. But she made an assumption that I was from China. And I was like shocked like my I was beside myself just because it was it was such a leap to based on my accent and my behavior that that would be assumed of me but it made me realize very early on in that experience how I maybe was seen by other women more or less in my age range and who I felt similar to culturally but maybe wasn't if that makes sense but in terms of how the sh- I I would say in the in the actual filming experience, other than those fleeting moments, it really made it had no impact. But watching it back and having this response from people is where it really made more of an impression on me. You know what you, was what was the response? I, I it's just talked about so much. <laughs> it's talked about a lot. You know, I don't. It's I am referred to as you know, Asian or part Asian, I'm identified with because I'm Asian. It's so cool to see someone who looks like them on TV and uh, thanks for representing. And it's and that's wonderful and beautiful, but it's interesting that next to my name is often that conversation mm-hmm. when it was, it just felt more of like just a, f- a fact that was floating in the air and not necessarily like something that needed to be addressed and now that I've gone through it I can I can understand it more and I think it would maybe it was a little simplistic of me to think that wasn't relevant but I I the whole thing just kind of makes me a little sad if I'm honest that it that it would be it would strike people so much that I look like them and that I do represent them you know that is the the other thing, like, yes, of course, people are going to see you. And because of the overwhelming whiteness of the show, you are then forced to become a representative of yes. this, you know, entire cultural group in a way that white people who go on The Bachelor do not have to bear that burden. You know, they don't have to go on and say, like, all white people are going to be reflected in what I say and do. I'm so glad you said that because there are times where... And to say it's a burden, it it sometimes kind of is. Like sometimes there's some drums going on in Bachelor Nation and someone said something they shouldn't have said and there's all this bullshit. And like, I'm like too old for this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I just, part of me just wants to like go for a walk in the park with my husband and not care about some 23-year-old who said the N-word. But at the same time, it's almost like there's a, it, there's almost this responsibility that you know, one you went on the show once and you are a person of color and therefore you, you have a, a responsibility to to say mm-hmm. something, and it, it sometimes is exhausting. Like I for Rachel Lindsay, I feel so bad for her, <laughs> just that it's like probably it's like a job. Mm-hmm. She's like the representative, and God, that must suck. Does I'm sure there's times where she just doesn't want to say anything but I'm proud of her for consistently stepping up and doing it yeah they should really be uh honestly compensating her I really (laughs) she makes them look so good (laughs) they benefit a lot from from her her volunteer work on their behalf (laughs) they Um, really do they just bring her on and she's their mouthpiece and they're like yeah yeah what she said 
Yeah. yeah, what she said, but we won't, you know, put any resources into making what she said a reality. We just, we totally agree and we support it. Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's really, it's, <laughs> it's really true that it's only very recently that white contestants, white former contestants have been pushed at all to participate in these conversations in a meaningful way. And that's, that's a problem. Um, you know, that's one of the, the ways that racism works on and around the show. And, and the way that, that you talk about seeing your name next to these descriptors, seeing that conversation next to it, um, it's, it's something that the whole structure of the show um, creates is that, you know, they don't know how to have people of color on the show without either kind of erasing them as people of color kind of mm-hmm. trying to make present them as white or being like this is our asian contestant <laughs> and like this is our latino contestant yeah um, that's a needle that they can't thread because the whiteness of the show is so defining to it and i don't know we don't know like <laughs> how how they can really address that because of how baked in it is i don't know if 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 you have any thoughts on how you wish things had been because it just seems very thorny baked in is such a good way of putting that uh kind of on this topic i remember surrounding the hannah brown n-word incident uh i remember hearing about it and being like oh my god like it's just it was just so it was just so cringy and painful and you have all the things you want to say but you also just like and I remember my sister sending me a Reddit thread where it was there was a list of people who were notable, like who you would expect to say things. And of course, I was there because maybe because I write about the show. But truthfully, I very rarely comment on things that don't happen on the show. That's it's just not what I do. I'm not really in the loop. It's not I'm not interested in it. And it's it says something that even on Reddit, an anonymous environment that What they're trying to do is, I understand what they're going for, and they want you to speak out, and that's sweet. But at the same time, by even having that, it shows what the where the problem lies. Right, and it should certainly like bearing that burden shouldn't be on the and and I say burden in just that like bearing that responsibility should not solely be on the shoulders of you know the contestants of color like. you know, and if we're talking about really fixing the problem of white supremacy, of racism, trying to tackle that within American culture, like it needs to be un- incumbent on white people. Yes. More than people of color to yes. be doing that fixing. Yes, exactly. So if you're going to keep a list, like. <laughs> yeah. It was well intentioned and I understood what they meant. And it's very possible they meant it more so in that my commentary on the show. But historically, I have never commented on things like this. And it, to, to me, it, it came off like it was about that. <laughs> that was the impression I got. Yeah, I think that that is, I, from my recollection, that is kind of where a lot of the pressure campaign started. And like, eventually there became more focus on, oh, we should be looking to the white former contestants. Um, but that's historically that often isn't the case and it certainly isn't where the conversation started after that incident um yeah. and i hope 
that that some lessons were taken <laughs> away um, this time. And I hope that uh, white people, white contestants, white fans um, are more mindful of that uh, going I forward. I thankfully as, as think that... Keep- I do think that the show is going to change for what it's worth. Maybe that's too optimistic of me. But I I think that they just can't get away with what they have in the past. Yeah. That, you know, I, I think really if Juan Pablo so. was cast today, even if he were the biggest dick in the world, which again, he wasn't, I wonder if they would hesitate more in painting, you know, in leaning into that yeah. that edit. Yeah, I mean, one thing that your convert that this conversation has made me think about is just the way that he wasn't given much control over his narrative mm-hmm. and the way that he interacted with the women and the process in a way that I think we are already seeing more and more just of leads in general. Like he didn't really have the space to say for me, you know, culturally, personally, this is very uncomfortable that this should be so public. Like what I'm looking for at the end is not a proposal. Like, yeah, what I'm looking for is is different and that he wasn't given the space to kind of position himself. I don't know how he would have handled that personally, but um, it certainly was he was disempowered. Yes, that's why it bothers me when the discussion of like, oh, there's a language barrier, but that's no excuse comes out. That was addressed very briefly last night. I think Trista was like, well, there's a language barrier. And then Caitlin's like, oh, that's no excuse. You know, I know that there are some behavioral things there, but when you cannot express yourself using the words you you know but don't have, that that can come out in very in many ways, and and maybe his ability to articulate himself and what he was looking for in a relationship and why he wouldn't propose and why if it's all just so simplified and the result if you choose to see it that way is to see him as more simple and maybe insensitive and less sincere than he is. And I know this because I struggled for years in my, in another language, in German, and I remember talking to people and being like, I can tell you think I'm dumb right now. (laughs) And it was a horrible feeling. And And he and I, this was one of the many things we bonded over. Just that understanding that he has an entire world that I don't know of, like I, an entire vocabulary, an entire way of speaking, an entire way of expressing himself. When my mother breaks into Mandarin, I'm always like, you know, <laughs> he never had that opportunity except like as a, as a novelty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think we probably as, you know, a white American audience um, did, did not really appreciate that. Um, and even on rewatching it, I don't think I appreciate it until you just said that like how profound of a limitation that really is like I have also lived abroad and been in situations in which I can only express myself in the in the most basic of of words and it is it really is such a profoundly frustrating experience and it does not communicate who you are at all and yeah and I think like our words are our words create the perception of our personalities and of our values. And so he was really not able to communicate that. It's almost like they should have had a translator on hand (laughs) for those like deeper conversations. I mean, I don't know if any, if either of you have watched 90 day fiance, but (laughs) there's a lot of couples with major language barriers. Okay. 
And they like often will just use like translator apps that like speak a lot. Like even though they've been in relationships for years, but they're having a, a fight or something. Yeah. And like both people need to be able to access their full vocabulary. Spectrum of words. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. 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 I do still like based on based on the season and his really low points and some of his better points that we do see um i just wonder like what they could have done and they did the like less than the absolute minimum to accomplish this to like <laughs> to really do justice to both the women and and who are in conflict with him and to him because mm-hmm. you know you want to give allowances is the wrong word but you want to say like oh i know i don't understand his culture i know i don't understand what he can't communicate his frustrations but you know people in all languages can also be you know hurtful or rude how do i know when that's happening and instead the show really leaned into just the the villain edit Mm -hmm. um it was more convenient it was certainly more and it was easy and and everyone was was happy to go along with it yeah and remember Um, he does he wasn't well liked by production either which is another mistake of his you know he didn't make friends on the side where he should have been making friends yeah I I think he you know Mm -hmm. and Nikki said this during the recap where she's like he didn't really do himself any favors in a lot of ways and I thought that that was well put yeah it is accurate (laughs) I also think it's worth noting that Nikki the truly the only person who really can speak to his character didn't really rake him over the coals last night no, it sounds like she was just put in, like, a bunch of terrible positions in part by him, in part by the show, in yes. part by the audience. And, like, you know, she I, had I'm a sure heart I, for him. You know, she yeah. she was frustrated by things. It obviously didn't work out. But she wasn't like, yeah, he's this terrible misogynistic man who demeans women and doesn't give a shit about their feelings and only wants to fuck all of them. It's like she's the only one who lived a life outside of that bubble with him and she has less fewer negative things to say about his character than a lot of other people I I think that a lot of stock needs to be put in that Mm -hmm. yeah although it was hard to hear that through their whole relationship she felt like she was still waiting to be picked which does not sound like a fun dynamic um, and is a common one, I think, in Bachelor. Uh, bachelor I think that couples. happens in a lot of relationships. Period. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and it's which it brings sucks. us, I think, <laughs> which brings us to our our final uh, our final wrap up here because we want to hear about what you're up to right now. Um, That's a good segue, that Claire. That was good. Relationship. <laughs> Look how sweet. We know that is. relationship advice is something you're getting into uh, in your new podcast with your husband Andy. Um, Tell us what's going on. Uh, it's such a... I have mad respect for what you guys do, I've got to say. I think podcasting is... It can be underestimated. It just sort of seems like you have a mic in front of you and you're just chatting. But it's... There is a lot of skill that goes into it. But yes, I've started a podcast with my husband. And it's pretty much just us shooting the shit and people writing questions and ask us our take. And the whole angle is we legitimately are very happily married and not not just for instagram <laughs> we more so in spite of instagram and <laughs> and yeah i think andy gives amazing relationship advice i give i think i give pretty good relationship advice too but 
I think it's worth noting that I met him when I was 29 and he was 42 and we had both dated a ton. He was engaged once. I've had long distance relationships, relationships with men in other languages, other cultures, on other continents. And he's dated half of New York City. And, (laughs) you know, there's, I think there's something to be said for speaking from experience and getting that very valuable and honest male perspective, which we don't get enough of in when we talk about relationships. So that's what we're trying to do. And it's, it's hard work, but it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely podcast. I've really been enjoying it. I don't need a lot of relationship advice, of course, because <laughs> well, my, your relationship um, is perfect. perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, but it's the podcast is called Dear Shandy. I really recommend it to everyone who wants to listen to Charlene and Andy talk for an hour, which is everyone, <laughs> all of <I> us. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, and Charlene, can you just tell tell the people out there listening where they can find you in general and and also your prolific body of work? <laughs> oh, I didn't I never intended for this body of work of work to become so so vast. <laughs> I'm sure with you guys too. You same start- here. Same here. You start a podcast. And yet here we are. <laughs> Yeah, when I started writing about this show six years ago, I wasn't like, yeah, in six years, I'm still going to be writing about this. <laughs> but it's, you know, no, it I is, not. yeah, it's flattering. And it's kind of neat to speak to your people who also love trashy TV. <laughs> it's a unique, in, in, unique little bubble. Uh, I am at Charlene Joint. S-H-A-R-L-E-E-N-J-O-Y-N-T. There's many misspellings there. Uh, Instagram and Twitter. And my blog is alltheprettypandas.com, where I recap the show in depth and get very specific. And yeah, I recap for Flair magazine. And I now have a podcast. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. So many things. You have a media empire. It's nothing to be ashamed (laughs) of. Yeah, no, I love it. I devour everything you put out there so you're the sweetest and you no ladies shame. as well you're, you're doing good in the world even if you know it's via the bachelor <laughs> yeah we're all we're all just trying to use uh you know trashy tv to hopefully have a real conversation, conversation about something yes. other than trash tv yeah yeah we're doing the same thing in a way really yeah yeah and that's why we adore you so much the feeling is um, mutual Charlene, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And again, I cannot wait until we can do it in real life. You are, in fact, like one of the last people I saw uh, <laughs> totally. before like the world ended. Like you, you are, I saw you the last day I went into my office, the last day I went into Manhattan before and, COVID. Emma, like, that was that the was last it. time I took the subway. Same, same. <laughs> We made that happen. I know. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't get COVID. Look at that. Yes, yes. We probably should have. But, but we were very careful. There was we all were. elbows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably saved your lives. It maybe did. Thank you, ladies, for having me. Yes. Thank you for coming on. And that's it for Here to Make Friends. Thanks to our guest, Charlene Joint, and our producers, Nick Offenberg and Sarah Patterson. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Here to Make Friends Pod. And you can follow us individually on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emma Lady Rose. We'll be back in just a few short weeks to recap Claire and Tasha's season of The Bachelorette. We can't wait to see you guys back here. 